0: Hi there and welcome back to the ESPN Footy Podcast.
1: Yes, hello everybody, Matt Walsh here with yet another episode of the ESPN Footy Podcast which is brought to you by the iconic Subway Footlong Sub, Subway Eat Fresh. Apologies everyone for my uh, crackly sounding voice. I'm in chilly Hobart today after my few days away late last week out sort of ballooned out in the face of another Victorian lockdown. Jake Michaels, you're in Melbourne, you've got your microphone in front of you but your voice is uh, a little bit crackly as well.
0: Yeah, I want to wrap this up quickly so I can go and get my uh, coronavirus test because I feel pretty average at the moment.
1: Well, good on you. Uh, Go and get tested if you can, Uh, especially if you... Have you been to any of those exposure sites? They've uh, ballooned out to sort of 300 now, I think.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, the exposure sites is pretty much half of Melbourne, so I think everyone's (laughs) been somewhat close to at least one of them. So, uh, yeah, I just have been feeling pretty average and think I might go and get tested but there's no one around me um that's a beautiful podcast we're doing it remotely at the moment so no need to worry if i'm coughing and spluttering away
1: fair enough fair enough christian jolly from champion data welcome to you uh no exposure sites out your way i think you're you're a bit far away from all the action if i remember correctly
2: yeah uh, yeah there isn't any, any exposure sites but unless it's champion data offices or the local woolworths or school yep. drop off or- where else I've been in the last six months anyway, so lockdown doesn't change me too much.
1: <laughs> it's pretty funny how, how these these people who end up finding themselves with coronavirus have just the most amazing social lives and some of the things they get up to on a random Tuesday, just uh, it baffles me. Um, but alas, uh, we do have another big episode. We've got uh, ESPN's AFL draft expert Chris Dorry joining us later on for his take on the mid-season draft. Uh, he's going to run us through his top 10 people to watch out for. Buck up uh, on
0: us the mid-season draft, doesn't yeah, it?
1: It, it? It is. I mean, we talked about it with him a few weeks ago about getting him the, on the podcast and all of a sudden, uh, you know, it's around the corner. So if you are listening to this after Wednesday night, please do stick around and listen though because he'll have good insight on the players most likely to have been drafted. So if you want a bit of an intel on those players, uh, make sure you, you stick around but uh, he's going to join us a little bit later. Guys, before we do jump into another big episode, something from the weekend that grabbed your attention that we might otherwise miss. Christian, anything uh, anything catch your eye?
2: Um, Probably, I don't know the full details of this, but I do know that probably giving some love to umpires here. Um, COVID lockdown, Melbourne, so players had to fly out. Um, games got moved around. Not a lot gets said about the umpires and how they sort of have to adapt to. I know two umpires did back to back games oh, on, on Saturday night. Stolen mine. Oh, <laughs> uh, we haven't. <laughs> we haven't.
1: Yeah. And I'd normally throw to Jake first. I really would have thrown, well, I would have thrown one of you under the bus regardless. But Jake was talking to me That's about right. this yesterday about this
2: double, double love for the umpires on the podcast. How good's that? Yeah. We don't <laughs> yeah, do yeah, it yeah. Much. all the headlines and players having to adapt and things like that. Us, yeah. The umpire fraternities got through and um, officiated a good round of games. No contentious decisions I can think of off the top of my head. So um, yeah, I can only, again, I was trying to dig the numbers up on this. I can only uh, assume it was probably one of their most ex- inexperienced crews they've put out um, across the round and got the job done. So well done to them.
0: Yeah. There was a few umpires I didn't overly recognize, but the the, the the only reason I picked it up was because umpire Jeff Dalgleish, who is famous for his stern barking orders throughout. I heard him doing the, uh, Oh, he was doing double-ish. the game on Saturday evening. And then I thought, okay, well, I've had, I've had to – I can take the earplugs out of my ears now for Sunday's games. And then he was back again doing the last game, the Port-Frio game. So um, we were, I was just talking to Matt yesterday. Gee, he must have run about 30 kilometers in two days. So in all seriousness, full credit to these guys. It's a fair effort.
1: Is there something in – you know how uh, Kevin Bartlett and all these sort of blokes going on about how fatigue – Makes the game better, uh, and and you know, players. The game opens up more, and, and the game will be more entertaining. Could it be true that if you fatigue the umpires a bit by making them run two games worth, they might not? Yeah, just like no, can't be
0: bothered bouncing it. Just play on. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Maybe there's something in that. Uh, Jake, do you have a do you have an alternate for us? Something you noticed?
0: Well, I kind of do off the fly and I hadn't planned for this, but I was just looking at, um, we don't like slagging other people off, but I was just looking at um, (laughs) uh, Gary Lyon and Tim Watson's all Australian, mid-season all Australian teams. And there were two stunning omissions that they both had. Neither of them had either Tom Liberatore, someone we were talking about last week, or Jackson McRae. I think you could almost argue there are two players that should be absolute locks in this team. Liberatore is leading the AFL by my when it comes to center bounce clearance work. Mm-hmm. And McRae is the the best ball winner in the league. And you would think that's something that would be a just an automatic check mark for these guys picking these teams. So I was stunned that neither of the neither of those two guys had those two in the midfield. And don't get me wrong, it's a bloody hard thing to do. We're doing ours at the moment and picking picking your midfield group, you know, you can't have 18 midfielders that some people seem to do and just put them all over the ground but I would have thought they would be two that would be just you know right up there with like Petrarca Pali. I thought they would be like the next couple of guys in there but no they didn't have him strange
1: yeah uh, you can catch that mid-year all Australian I think Fridays when we're going to be getting go on that Jake uh, take, a, yes, take, a, take a sip of water while I throw yes, to you that's is. good Thank you. Um, uh, So something I've I've noticed, I've got two, and you sort of tipped tipped me off with the other one. I'm going to be really brief with it. But uh, the commentary, I do bring up the commentary a little bit, um, but I'm not slagging anyone off. I just noticed that Lee Montagna on the weekend was doing some colour commentary uh, for Fox footy. And I thought that was quite, it's quite impressive because he's actually also a play-by-play caller and did a Mm. fair bit of AFLW work. And he's done a couple of AFL games this season as well. The ability for a bloke like Montagna to switch pretty well between a play-by-play role and a color role. Um, I don't think that can be understated because it's it's pretty tough to do either of those gigs pretty well. And he does both quite well.
0: I rate him really highly. I think he's um, considering how little sort of sample size we've seen from him. um, I I rate him as well as probably a lot higher than, than quite a few of these guys that have been doing it for a decade or longer, to be completely honest.
1: Hmm. Um, and then the second one I had was I was just sort of trolling through some trolling through some stats uh, the other day and something interesting caught my eye no I was just trolling (laughs) through the stats uh, and something caught my eye and it was actually quite interesting that um, Josh Kennedy of the Swans and Josh Kennedy of the Eagles have played 270 and 269 games respectively oh I hope I've got that order right I should have uh, bloody noted that down but they've played so they've got the same name um, only you know Playing on different ends of the country, but they differ in games played by just one. Um, not so much an interesting thing as just a little stats quirk that I thought was was uh, was interesting.
0: The question is, who's had a better career? Uh,
1: yeah. I mean, they've both had pretty impressive careers, haven't they? No, um,
0: no I don't want that. Who's had a better <laughs> career?
1: No offence, the question. Uh, I think Josh Kennedy of the Eagles, I think it's harder to be a really good key forward than it is to be a pretty good mid. And and no disrespect to to JP, who's, who's an excellent midfielder and has played with some excellent midfielders. But you know you can work together as a midfield group. Whereas if you're the the, the focal point, I know that I know that um, Jack Darling and in more recent times Oscar Allen has provided a, a another focal point up forward for the Eagles. But but Josh J Kennedy's been doing it very well for a very long time. So maybe he just pips JPK for me.
2: See, I've got Jack, Josh PK. Uh probably slightly ahead. And again, got to look at the role that they play and yeah, full forwards get all the glory, but, and again, goals are a good one. I think, you know, we looked up, he was 26th all time on the goal kicking record and that's great. Cause we've got goals going back to 1897, but a couple of stats that Josh Kennedy, uh, Josh P. Kennedy, is up high. And we've only started doing as, you know, champion data days, 99 onwards, but, uh, yeah, number one for contested possessions per game of anyone we've ever covered. So 14.3 across his career, um, in total, that's only second to Gary Ablett, who's got almost, you know, 80 odd games uh, more than him in that time. Uh, and second for clearances as well, um, in the time he's played. And again, yeah, B and F's not always a big one, but three B and Fs to zero between the two as well. So I think Josh P. Kennedy slightly gets the nod for
1: me. Jake, you asked the question.
0: I guess Can I'm a answer? tiebreaker here. Uh <laughs> Ooh, I reckon you make a good point, Christian, but I reckon I'm just just ever so slightly going Josh Jay's way I think he's get had gold. get all the glory he's, he's, <laughs> yeah in the brown though don't they yeah, yeah I think he's he's had the number one he's had the number one defender for a best part of a, well, a decade now he's managed to be he'll probably end his career as a top 20 all-time goal kicker um, and I think they both won premierships. I think, yeah, what he's been able to do and the way he's been able to, to, to be fair, they both have, they're both sort of, not rejects, but both sort of moved on from other clubs early in their career and have gone on to have fantastic careers. So uh, I think you'd both, I think both clubs would be happy to have them. They're both terrific players. Do they both get uh, the 300? Uh,
1: yeah, I reckon they probably both do. I think West Coast Kennedy's probably got the better chance. Um Depending on which direction Sydney you want to go uh, in in the next couple of years, but um, pretty tough to do for for a player who's based out of Perth for what well, most of their career to make 300, yeah. as we've found out. So uh, wanted to keep an eye on with interest for sure. Uh, let's move into uh, the body for today because we've got heaps to talk about um, with Chris Dory joining us later. Because um, a week is a long time in football, um, and while last week we were sort of bemoaning you know, umpiring, the disconnect between the MRO, the AFL and fans and and all these sort of football issues where once again, talking about COVID and and Victoria's in lockdown and footy is once again, to quote Gil McLaughlin, needing to be agile, Jake, uh, your big pre-season call was that COVID would in fact rear its head again uh, in 2021. I think your exact call was we would see a stop to the season. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, So you've almost nailed it, unfortunately. Uh, but the AFL does seem to be managing it okay for now, with uh, with no interruptions. Touch wood so far.
0: Yeah, it is. Uh, no, it was. I thought. Um, I, I thought the fact that a lot of people th- were just sort of getting too complacent and figuring that COVID had it was done. It was like that's that's crazy. It's so naive to think that it's it's going to come back at some point. It's just a matter of how much it's going to come back and how we manage it. We don't know, you know, we're sitting here now. We don't know where we're going to have games play. We don't know where the next game we're going to have in, in Victoria will be. We don't know what tomorrow's coronavirus numbers are going to be. We're all in the unknown at the moment, at the moment. So it's really difficult to, to know what, what to do and what to say. But I think the AFL, all the AFL can do at the moment is just play it day by day. What can the AFL do?
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, this week we're still uncertain uh, in terms of fixture chaos. I mean, this is when we're recording this midday-ish on Tuesday. Uh, Melbourne versus Brisbane, it's definitely not going to be in Alice Springs. It seems very, very likely that it's going to be at Giant Stadium, but it could also be at the SCG on Friday night. Richmond Essendon, we know uh, Dreamtime is going to be uh, at Optus Stadium, uh, which will be a a fantastic opportunity for um, a stadium like Perth to hold a real marquee match, um, which is kind of lost in all this, but You know, getting to have that sort of setting at that venue is going to be magnificent on television. I'm sure they'll do it great justice. Carlton versus West Coast, we think, is going to be at the SCG, um, being moved from the MCG. And and St Kilda versus Sydney at this stage could be a coin flip, whether it's in Cairns or whether they just flip the fixtures and have the Swans host the Saints instead of the other way around. Um, We just don't know. And and that's the thing about it. But um, is it time to start taking bids for something like Queen's birthday, Christian? I mean, (laughs) can we we sell out... To the highest bidder. I mean, having having a market like that. over game to the like UK.
2: That,
1: <laughs> seriously.
2: I mean, yeah. I don't know what Queen's Birthday is probably is the next game after this round that they've got to worry about. But it's it's almost fallen in the in the best possible time frame for the AFL and the fixtureing. We know that there was um, the, the buy round, so there's six teams having buys right. each round. So there's fewer yeah. games for the next three. Uh, yeah, the games um, next few weeks in a row. But also looking at so round thirteen even the original uh, fixture only had one only had that Queen's birthday as being the only game in Melbourne that weekend, the MCG on the Monday. So from Friday to Sunday uh, games were already fixtured for Adelaide over West CG, Perth, Kazali stadium in Cairns and Blundstone arena in Tassie uh, round 14. It was similar. There's only the Marvel stadium and an MCG game. So two of the six so far mm. scheduled in Melbourne. So there's not a lot of juggling they have to do at the moment. Um, again, saw what they did last year, um, you know, an an immensely great job to sort of juggle things and get the season back going. And we had to use hubs and things like that.
1: Mm.
2: Not sure if we're going to end up in hubs again. I don't know. Hopefully, you know, fingers crossed Melbourne gets out of this situation a bit quicker than last year, but again, yeah, with the buy rounds and very few games currently fixed in Melbourne, it's probably couldn't have come at a better time Mm. sort
1: of for the AFL to try to manage this. Yeah. We saw the MCG was empty. Sorry. We saw the MCG was empty for Geelong Collingwood on the weekend. Do we, is it, do we want to prioritise crowds? I know that someone like Jared Whateley has been pretty strong on this, especially for an opportunity like Queen's birthday. You could just have the big freeze at another venue, couldn't you? You'd, you'd probably prefer to have it at, at Adelaide Oval compared to an MTMCG.
0: I think you would. Um, but I also think that the clubs need to have some sort of a say in all of this. I don't think mm. you can just be shifting games wherever you want just to have crowds. It's good to have crowds and... To be honest, uh, we spoke about it on the pod last week. How excited we were for the Bulldogs-Demons game, which turned out to be a bit of a an average game, and I think it was made even more average by the fact that we didn't have a crowd there. Um, You know, it's it's hard to watch. All you're hearing is just the whistle blowing every five seconds, and that's it. It's it it does take a lot away. Every sport does, and the fact that we didn't have a crowd was a shame, but. Christian's right. I mean, the, the the AFL got has been pretty lucky with the fact that this has fallen during the bye rounds. Had this happened mm. four weeks earlier, I think that we would almost certainly either be back in hubs or they would have had to have stopped the season because we get we have what four games a week in Melbourne. You yeah, know, occasionally yeah, we've got games in Geelong. It, it's too hard. There's no way that they could have sh- they could have shuffled all those games around. They would have had to go into hubs. And if this lasts three weeks, which who's to say it won't? Um, then I think hubs is definitely something that we're going to have to look at again. Mm, Well, big
1: shout out to Coronavirus for at least picking the bye week so we can go through this week by week, as you say, Jake. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Speaking of the bye, uh, there are six teams on the bye this week, Uh, Christian, uh, this week and the next couple of weeks. We're going to go through those teams that are on the bye, just sort of a little bit of a mid-year recap. Um, And this week it's the Suns, the Hawks, the Cats, the Power, the Giants and the Kangaroos. We're going to run through... Some trends that we've seen in the first half of the year, their strengths and weaknesses, uh, and maybe debate most improved players and and best and fairest candidates. So um, kick us off. Where do you want to start?
2: Yeah, well, I'll just go alphabetical order. So Geelong was the um, first team to have a bye this weekend. So yeah, that sort of,
0: Don't sound too excited about the Catters.
2: Well, not much (laughs) has changed. I mean, they're the hardest team to score against from a turnover. Once again, they're number one contested possession differential. So they're just playing bully footy at the moment. They can get the ball before you can. You can't move it against them. But again, probably the one worry, and I had this same worry uh, on GWS in 2019 when they made the grand final. They score their fewest percentage of points from intercepts. So we talk about 80% of the game being from intercept chains and the other 20% coming out of clearances and kick-ins, they're only 54% of their overall scores come from intercepts, which is last. And they're the fourth best at scoring overall from their intercepts, but they create the fewest because their games are so controlled. They're not chaos. The ball's not flying back and forth between the two teams a lot. Um, And again, just the big part of scoring from turnovers is scoring from forward half turnovers. So locking the ball in your forward half, winning it back and scoring, which melbourne did quite easily on friday night considering the bulldogs kept kicking into them but um geelong are yeah 10th for scoring from forward half turnovers uh if you look at the top six teams in that stat they're all top six you know in the top eight yeah two teams that are in the top eight that are low in this stat are 10th geelong and 16th west coast um and there's been a few sort of question marks starting to arise from you know about west coast in recent weeks as well so that's the one part of the game that probably just shows that they both those teams need really controlled games of footy where they have the ball in their hands, go slow. We saw Geelong Collingwood probably pretty frustrating game to watch. Um, And we know West coast, you know, love to go the kick mark um, slow style. So yeah, Geelong playing bully footy, still playing, you know, to their strengths that they have been for the last three or four years. But the one issue probably at the moment is this, this chaos game, the ability to be able to score from forward half turnovers and just turnovers in general and, Probably something that also got them beaten in the grand final last year after halftime, mm. with Richmond really just overtook the turnover game.
1: They, they contender, Jake.
0: Absolutely, they're a contender. I Is think, it a um, sort of
1: style of footy that can hold up in, in finals though? When you're subject to that sort of pressure on, on a well, on they a,
0: did last year. I, I, to be honest, I don't know how how much that differs to how they were playing last year, and they were they were the better team by a considerable margin in that grand final until half time. Um, I think they're definitely a contender. And I think it's crazy to, to say that they can't. Um, and this is all without their best player who who will come back into the team. So, yeah,
2: so even on danger field, yeah, the contested possession differential, they've been almost plus 20 without him, which is, you know, to be plus 10 is probably a good mark. Plus 15 is an elite mark. To be plus 20 almost over a five game period without your probably number one contested ball winner. Uh, that's the one strength of their game. It's probably only going to get stronger going forward. Does that mean that they're going to improve play? Sorry?
0: There is such a sound defence. They've got, they got two of the best key forwards in the in the comp and they've got a gun midfield group um, with danger coming back. I, I, think, I think they're definitely a chance. Um, as I said, I thought they were going to be able to do it last year. I picked them to go all the way this year and I haven't seen anything probably after the first three rounds that, that tells me they can't do it.
1: Your mate, Cam Guthrie, most improved. Any other uh, notable names that we should be thinking of? Quinton Knuckle, perhaps? Has that, that an okay start to the year?
0: Yeah, Cam Guthrie's been good in uh, all Australian form at the moment, around about the squad. Again, we, it's so hard to pick the, the midfielders in that team. Um, who else? Yeah. The one
2: for me is Gary Rowan. So um, no. <laughs> on the weekend, he's actually, so he's a small one, but again, this is just the huge, uh, this is probably the biggest impact of Jeremy Cameron coming into the team at the moment is Gary Rowan. So he's had a uh, 10 plus disposals seven times in a row now. Um, I think he's 153 games into his career before this year. He'd only had it like had 10 disposal games, three times in a row, a handful of times. So he's never been that, you know, get the ball each week. Uh, he was going That's what on the we the is
1: his, con- his consistency yeah. over time.
2: Yeah. Yeah, goalless on the weekend but multiples in his other six games before that yeah. since Cameron's come into the team. So he's been a big improver from yeah, Cameron playing wrong- alongside him. That's always, the, uh...
0: For the record, that's always been my knock on Rowan. It's not him as a player. It's it's his inconsistency because he's such a beautiful kick for goal and he's got the speed, he's got the smarts, he's a great kick around the ground, but he's just not getting involved enough. He's got to do more. And if Cameron's allowing him to do more, then all of a sudden they've got that trio. They're going to be hard to stop.
1: Uh, moving on to Gold Coast Suns, if my alphabet is correct.
0: <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, so again,
2: yeah, injuries. Injuries are the, probably the big... Yep. The number one headline for them. But um, looking at what they've done well stat-wise, I mean, they're number one for uncontested marks per game. Um, so showing that they can get a little bit of control on the ball and fourth for ground ball gets per game, which again is that chaos sort of once the ball does spill to the ground in a contest situation, they're doing well. Again, the the number one uncontested mark, something they haven't been able to do in the past is being able to slow the game down when they need to and control the ball. So, You're
0: number one for uncontested marks, did you say?
2: Yeah. So just, yeah, yeah. Um, across the, yeah, across the ground. So, but the, the, again, but the main issue is they're 15th for clearances. Again, that comes out a lot to do with their ruck work and, you know, missing their, lack well, off would be the number one and three, three ruckman this year. And, um, 16 missing
0: their throw. best ruckman and best clear. Well, maybe not. Well, yeah. Matty yeah. Rao best so, clearance right. player.
2: Yeah. I think Greenwood's. Yeah. Probably, um, takes the load a little bit, but yeah. So also 17th for scoring from clearances. So again, just being able to, and as I said, um, yeah, low for the inside 50 differential as well. So at the moment, still getting beaten out of the stoppages, still the game's being played at the wrong end of the field for them. Mm. Um,
1: but again, you just, it all comes back to injuries, I
2: think, through the midfield and things like
1: that. Mm. The contributions across the boards a big one for me, for the Suns. Jake, we talk about this a lot, um, or in previous years we have, about other teams, but the last sort of six players selected each week, you kind of need them to be picking up 10 to 12 touches or whatever their role is. And too often I think I've looked at the Suns, disposal counts and you're looking at sort of 6, 8, 10 players not t- having more than sort of 12 touches. Um, and yeah. if you're not getting these And again, it's fine
0: to only have 12 touches if you're tackling, putting pressure on, but they're not doing anything and yeah. it's kind of... But as Christian said, they've got injuries and I think there's quite a few players that will come back into that side. I had high hopes on them. I thought they could challenge for a final spot and I haven't been too disappointed with them. I think with with some of those players coming back in, I think they're thereabouts. They're they've they've mm. played some really solid games and I, I think... I think they're they're improving. They're really improving as a side.
1: Front runner for BNF, uh, Tuukka Miller. You're a big fan of his work this year.
0: Tuukka Miller's been fantastic. I think Ben King has been really good. And yeah. m- it might be crazy. We were actually have we were chatting about him. Do we do we squeeze him into the the All Australian side? So good has been his form. Great goal kicker. Very consistent in a side where he's not getting much opportunity, as Christian just said. Um, probably doesn't get in, but boy, he's had a great season. Miller's been good. Greenwood's been good. Noah Anderson started the season really well. Probably had a few quieter games since. Um, yeah. And then you got some guys in in the back line. Jack Bowes gets a lot of... Probably has probably had half of those uncontested marks in the back line. Um, I think Brandon Ellis has been really good too. He's had yeah. some really good games. So. And we're talking about oh, um,
1: pickups as well. Christian, you were talking about Oleg Markov and, and the role that he's been able to play for the Suns has been quite important. That dash and carry off, off the wing.
2: Yeah, exactly. He's just... He's doing exactly what he was brought in the into the club for. So he's fifth at the club for total meters gained. And I think he's outside the top 10 for total disposal. So he doesn't get a lot of it, but he's just mm. that option to sort of um, release him and get some meters going. Uh, BWS going Giants. Again, oh, sorry. Yeah, no, oh. I was just going to say, I like my you know, played he's played every game this year and hadn't played 11 at Richmond before that. So he's just, yeah, become a regular. Getting consistent uh, GWS. Getting games,
1: yeah,
2: that, yeah, GWS, the big one for me. The first line I wrote is they're a vanilla team. It's just, again, we look at reports and I get greens <laughs> and reds. That's favourite word. <laughs> so, yeah, green and red to tell me where you're sitting and what you're doing well. A lot of whites on their sheet, um, which is probably a good thing. I Going back to our big calls at the start of the season when we were previewing the season, I thought they'd have the biggest drop-off of any team and, you know, they'd already missed finals last year. I thought they'd drop off again, but um yeah they're just i mean even looking at their strengths the best strengths i can give them are their sixth for scoring once they're inside 50 so again very potent forward line that helps when you got you know toby greens out at the moment but they've always been very dangerous once they go inside 50 fifth for ground ball gets across the ground and clearance differential so not even top four in 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 either of those stats um but yeah they're, they're probably the two stats or three main areas of the game that they're high in um but yeah 17th for time in forward half and this has been a issue for him for the last three years it's just played at the wrong end of the ground for them. they don't lock it in the forward line um yeah so and, and it's the same issue again this year it's just yeah it's way too too low of a rank to be pushing for finals i think they're yeah they're about negative six minutes or something in their timing forward half per game so that's their main issue
1: toby green's had a bit of time out but he's possibly a front runner for the, the best and fairest at this point jake
0: Oh, he has to be. Um, I think, oh, look, there's a few. I, you know, you do miss some games, but he was so good early on. I think he'd still be leading it. I think Tim Taranto and Jake Hopper have both been really good in the midfield. Yeah. But Toby Green, it's funny you said the vanilla. I mean, he's like the least vanilla player in the in the competition. God, he's so good. Um, it's a shame he's injured because he's probably my favorite player to watch. I just love watching him, what he can do. He's he's He just oozes confidence and what he can do on the field. Uh, yeah, I think he's um I think he's leading their BNF and he's probably probably even with those games that he's missed, probably in the, the mid-year all australian team.
1: You mentioned Jacob Hopper, Christian, he's been he's been pretty good this year. He's been well improved on output from previous years.
2: Yeah, close to 30 disposals per game this year. Um, and just yeah, keeps improving each week. So again, I had him almost as their most improved and a chance to win their BNF. Again, got Toby Green ahead, just depends mm-hmm. on how many games Toby Green misses. Um, so yeah, Hopper definitely sort of. Um, yeah, playing the role of that, you know, almost their number one or number two midfielder. I think Taranto's probably, you know, even been able to take a little bit of a step back from the clearance work because of um, Tom Green and Jacob Hopper sort of uh, doing a bit more work in close. And they're probably their best recruit. has probably been five years in the making or so, but Matt Flynn, um, and that's just having patience on a a tall Ruckman. He's been on their list for four or five years, had a few injuries. Um, Great story. You know, yeah. And again, just hasn't set the world on fire. He's only played probably five or six games, but he's done well every game he's played. It just, it, it just um, as I said, it, it shows that having patience in guys that you've picked up early, especially big blokes, um, yep. is the key. Because, yeah, to give the guy five years and he clearly looks like he's comfortable at AFL level now.
1: For sure. Uh, who's next on that list? It's going to be Hawthorne. Geez, I'm really testing my Yeah, good.
0: yeah. Um, yeah so uh, the Hawks. What do you mean um, we've gone from G to H?
1: Oh, I, I, I've, I've written them down out of order. And then Christian said, we'll go in alphabetical <laughs> order. So he's throwing a spatter in the works.
0: <laughs> I, I almost went ladder
2: order. That would have been even yeah. harder. So I thought, <laughs> I thought alphabetical might be the easiest one. Um, the Hawks, yeah, again, not a great season for them. Again, they, they've got out on the front foot. Jeff Kennett himself came out and said, you know, they're not going to win a lot of games. They're just going to blood players, uh, which again, I looked at. They've had five debutants this year. Only Jacob, because it's really their regular though. A couple of others, Tyler Brockman, and a few others. Ned Reeves played his first one. They've, they've been brought in and out, but they're not. They haven't been the youngest. You know, they haven't been bottom four for age or anything, any round or anything yet. So Even still,
0: where they're at, should they be? Should these guys be playing more?
2: I, I think so. They, they've, they've told us they will play these guys more, um, but we're just not seeing. As I said, they have I think you know a few weeks ago after they said it, they were still the sixth oldest team. Um, for round eight or nine or whenever it was. So yeah. still a fair, fair bit of experience. But again, there the talk about time in fourth half for the Giants. Hawthorne are last in that negative 12 per game. Um, and as I said, yeah, Giants at like negative six minutes are the next worst. So mm. twice as bad as any other team. It's just it's just played down again, like I said, a few other teams played down the wrong end for Hawthorne all year. Um, and there's been a few games like the Richmond game. Um, I think the Geelong game as well, where they weren't blown out of the park, but they never really like watching the game. I didn't think they were much of a chance just because they didn't have much of the ball in their forward half. They was just sort of stopping scoring all game. Mm. Um, but yeah, when they, I mean, when they have started to move the ball from the back half, that's probably the one sort of tick I've got They're fifth for going from defensive 50 to inside 50. Um, and then the second best team from going defensive f- defensive midfield to inside 50. So they're great at moving the ball from one end to the other when they do go for it, but last for both of those for scoring once inside there. So they sort of get it inside 50, but no potency. Um, so again, for a young team, there's at least there's, there's half the tick there that their ball movement's good. It's just mm. finishing it off once they get it in there.
1: For a side where they are, it's, it's a shame we're not seeing more of players like Will Day, who's, who's out injured at the moment. Denver Granger Barras was highly touted. Um, Finn McGuinness, we're not seeing much of him. Um, I, I know that injuries are playing a part with this, but this is this is kind of the time where if you're a Hawk supporter when your team's not doing too well. These are when you want to get the games into these sorts of draft picks and these kids, and they just haven't been able to do that as well, which is, again, part of it's you know, injury-related and then other parts form and, and not being able to put it together at, at BFL level. So um, do we have a, a, a most improved um, potential name there, Jake? I mean, uh, Chanquath Jiath is probably the most most likely just some of his dash and some of the things that he can do has been been incredible this year. Or you look at um, Kajitsky, as you mentioned, Christian and, and his sort of consistency, at least being consistent getting games on the park and, and having a couple of days out as well. I think they've been both shining lights for the Hawks.
0: Mm. CJ's really good off half halfback. Um, enjoy watching him play so fast uh, and, He's develop, developing into a pretty decent ball user as well. So, Correct. But there's not a lot. There's not a lot, really. Um, as you said, you know, I was looking at on the weekend. I thought Liam Shields was good. You know, one of their older players, Luke Bruce has been good. One of their older players, Tom Mitchell has been pretty good. One, of, It's the older guys that have been their better players. And you can't have that in a side that you're developing. You've got to try and yeah. get games into these younger guys. And you've got to hope that some of these younger players can take that next step up. Yeah. And we're just not seeing it at the moment. And I listed that with their BNF. Chances,
2: you know, Tom Mitchell, probably clear leader at the moment. And second and third, Wingard's missed a couple of games and Brewst. They're just mm. exactly that. There's no new names in that top three. Uh,
1: another young side that are struggling down the bottom of the ladder, the Kangaroos. What can you tell us about their season so far? Yeah.
2: So again, exactly that. They're languishing last. They're last for disposal. Copy
0: and paste from the Hawks. Yeah.
2: <laughs> well, yeah, last for disposals, last for uncontested possession and contested possession differential. So just yeah. can't get the ball and hold on to it um and then the other one that sort of um stood out to me is their last for retaining possession for their kicks inside 50 so they very rarely get it in there but even when they are kicking it in there um they're just not being able to find a target and a teammate so um yeah it would be frustrating playing for north at the moment you can't get the ball and when you do get it you can't sort of find a target inside 50 but the one thing that they um, are starting to yeah, again talk about young teams new coaches their transition and their ball movement is something that they're clearly working on. Um, and, and they're doing quite well with it. They're very protective with their ball movement. Um, so they're only sort of go from defensive 50 to inside 50, the 12th most often of any team. So they're not last in that stat, but they have the fastest transition speed and average or the, you know, the fewest average seconds for those chains of any team. So when they do go from, to try to go coast to coast, they're going fast, they're going quick and they're, they're sort of, um, yeah, they're doing it well and they're doing it better than yeah, Richmond, Brisbane, any of the top teams, they're just not doing it as often as mm. those teams are. But again, to look at a young Difference, team, yeah. to be able to see that, yeah, to be able to see that there's there's good ball movement and that's full, full ground ball movement. Um, mm. It's a good early, early tick for a young team to have. Uh Yeah. BNF really tough one for me, but maybe Ben Cunnington and T- Todd Goldstein are their usual two. Jai Simkin I'd also throw up there as um, probably yeah. another name. I think
0: Cunnington's ben been Cunnington's in. been fantastic. Great. He's, he, he, Kind of like a you know Josh a Josh Kennedy from before. He, he doesn't get enough credit that he deserves. Maybe because he's played with for North. Maybe because he's a quiet you know operator who doesn't talk much outside of outside of the footy. But boy, I reckon he might be the best handballer in the game right now. <laughs> Some
1: of his, 30 Some of his handball. handballs
0: he's had this year have been insane. Like twenty meter handballs with two guys grabbing him in the space goal. He, he's such a good footballer.
1: The one on the weekend where he handballed to what I thought was nobody and then Jack Zebel just sort of comes out of the Zeeble, bottom, yeah. bottom quarter of the screen Speaking and kicks Zeeble. a goal. Uh,
0: Speaking of a Zeeble, yeah? I, nearly, I nearly fell off my couch last night when I got a message off one of my friends saying, here's a list of Jack Zebel stats. Does he make the Mid-Year All-Australian team? And I said, you got to be kidding me. He's playing as a defender, though he's not defending. He can't defend. Why is he playing in defense? I get that they want a bit of leadership back there, but they're leaking goals one after another. I don't know why he doesn't play in the midfield. I feel like he hasn't played in the midfield for about six years. He played as a half forward, was pretty average at that, playing as a defender and racking up the ball, taking all the kickouts, taking eight-meter kicks and putting his teammates under pressure all all afternoon. Play him in the midfield. Play him in the midfield with some of the younger guys. I don't know why they're not doing it.
1: We've got to move on. We're running short of time. um, We've got to get to Chris Dorry shortly. But uh, Port Adelaide, uh, the last team that are having to buy this week, Christian.
2: Yeah. So, again, they're probably – their tick is on the defensive side of things. So, they're the hardest team – or the third hardest team to move the ball against going from one end to the other. Um, And, yeah, sort of one of the hardest teams to score against from clearances and intercepts. But, yeah, their offensive stuff sort of dropped away from previous years. They're the second – ranked 17th for punishing – forward half turnovers, they're sort of, um, you know, they're, they're sort of bottom five for moving the ball from one end to the other. So that their potency that they had, that the strengths that they had in the previous two years has sort of dropped mm-hmm. away. Um, again, there's no, you know, they're not 18th or 17th in anything. But again, it is clearly their, um, their defensive side of the game's overtaken their offensive side of the game at the moment, which is sort of unlike Port from when they were successful. They were one of the best sort of front half teams and had a really potent forward line.
1: It's kind of strange because we talk about teams like Essendon and they've, they've had a great sort of last few weeks on the back of getting contributions uh, from, from their kids who have, who have just jumped in. And it's kind of like what Port, when when the Rosie, Dersmer and Butter all, Butters all came in and, and they were contributing right away and then Port looked really dangerous. And now you've got Rosie's out of form, Butters and Dersmer injured and can't quite get on the park. And you sort of find that Port are regressing. It's these whole 22 contributions that you're kind of looking for for a team Uh, That's looking to contend, and they're not quite getting those at the moment. So it's no surprise they're kind of where they are to me. Do we have a most improved and a BNF candidate to support Jake?
0: Um, I think you could probably put Ollie Wines in that category for both. I know Ollie Wines has been a pretty solid player for for quite a number of years, but he's gone to another level this year. Um, I've got him actually third in the Brownlow right now, halfway point of the season. He's been fantastic. Um, I think he's certainly leading Port's best and fairest. And yeah, I, I could make certainly make a case he's he's their most improved, along with probably someone like Carl Amon, who has mm-hmm. turned in turned himself into a really good ball winner and good ball user. You know, he's been in the center bounce at the weekend, but he's been also doing some really good work on the wing. So really good player. they they're playing well. I think they're just a step down from probably yep. the the top couple of sides, but with a few players to come back in, um, They've got the class of players like Wines and Boke and Gray. I'm Again, I'm not writing them off.
1: Any we know they the can score
0: heavily at times. We saw them do it against against the Dockers. That first 10 minutes of that game, it was just like the port of old where they just was... It reminded me of that game against Richmond, that final, that famous final where they just <laughs> kicked goal after goal in the first quarter. Um, was there much of a win though, on, on Sunday? They struggled after that to score. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Christian, probably any
2: arguments? Uh, no, I'll just throw out one name that's probably flown under the radar um, across the whole competition. and Drew. just He's one of those plug-and-play players. He's been, again, patience for Port Adelaide. He's been on their list for a long time. He's been in the third most centre bounces behind uh, Boke and Wines. And he's probably, yeah, he's second or third for clearance. He doesn't, doesn't win 20 disposals or anything, but he's clearly sort of their in-and-under midfielder that's releasing Grey, Boak, uh, Wines and things. So... I think, yeah, a lot of Ollie Wines is what what Jake said, you know, his improvement. I think he owes a little bit of that to Willem Drew, who's sort of riding shotgun with him.
0: Buy
1: him a beer. If you're enjoying this podcast, swipe over and check out the ESPN Australia Podcast Network. We're discussing the best stories on the sports you love with on-the-ground takes and fresh voices covering the names and games you tune in for. Okay, moving on. Uh, as I said off the top, uh, we've got a very special guest joining us uh, this week ahead of the mid-season draft on Wednesday. Depending on when you're listening to this, uh, you might get a bit of an insight into who your club picked if they picked anyone in the mid-season draft. But it's Chris Dorry, ESPN's AFL draft expert. Uh, expert. Chris, welcome along. Thanks for having me. Been a busy uh, couple of uh, weeks into the lead-up for the mid-season draft, trying to get some last-minute analysis done on, on some of these players who, who might find themselves with a new home in the next couple of days.
3: Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah, I've been watching up on a lot of the mature ages and really trying to pick out who are the ones that can play and deserve to have a spot on an AFL list. Now tell me,
0: Chris, can the Blues pick up about eight players in this mid-season draft?
3: (laughs) Yeah, unfortunately, there aren't that many list vacancies on any of the club lists. I don't think that's quite possible there, Jack.
1: I missed this last year because... I think in 2019, it kind of wet everybody's appetite for more player movement uh, in, in the mid-season, which is kind of what the AFL, I, th- I think, kind of what the AFL lacks. So it, it was it was really good to have that in 2019. And then last year, kind of noticed the absence of it. But to have it back in 2021, uh, you must also be thrilled uh, with all the extra work you get to do. Chris <laughs> Forrest on the website, ESPN.com.au forward slash AFL.
3: Yeah, no, it's a fun time, and the more drafts, the better, from my perspective. And I find the mature ages they often don't get enough of a shot, so this is an opportunity for a few more to potentially get a chance and maybe be a replacement player for a, a team if they have a particular pressing list need. As I just quite a love number the fact that do.
0: a player can get rewarded for a really good start to to a season, you know. And if if a club, if va- we see it all the time with um, senior te- senior lists vacancies opening up through injuries and all sorts of things, that they can give someone an opportunity. That probably didn't expect to get one. Oh, it's yeah. a great thing, and I, you know, I was obviously joking about Carlton getting eight players, but if a club can get one, one or two, uh, fill one or two list spots, it's a win-win.
1: I mean, the Gold Coast Suns would have loved to have had uh, an extra shot at a ruckman, say in round two or three, when they had literally no one, and they had key position players who were undersized trying to trying to fill out that position. Chris, quickly, just run us through uh, what's going to happen on on Wednesday. How many clubs have picks available, and if there are any clubs that, that don't have any picks?
3: Yeah, sure. So um, there's only two clubs that definitely won't have any picks. Um, so that is, um, who have we got? So Geelong and Western Bulldogs are the two teams. So all the other teams do have the opportunity to um, take a player, but there are still a few things that will need to happen. So for Brisbane to take a pick, um, Cam Rayner would need to be listed as inactive and same for West Coast with Dan Venables. Mm, so if one of
0: these guys is to be also. listed as inactive, they can't play at any point for the rest of the year. Is that correct? They can't that's then correct. come back on the active list later in the year.
3: Yeah, that's right. So they need to be out for the season, out of the program, really. So, yeah. yeah. Sorts of ACL injuries kind of like what Cam
1: Rainer yep. does, which you expect he won't, he won't sit mm, up yeah. for the rest of the season. Even, even if they do make a deep run, you yeah. probably think that for team balance sake, he's probably not going to get a run. So, yeah. okay, yeah. so that makes injury. sense. So you think up to maybe – so, so sometimes might have two picks. You, you think maybe up to 20 players could get selected at this upcoming period?
3: Yeah, it's possible we might see 15 to 20 players picked. So some teams will have two picks that they'll use and there'll be other teams that do have picks available that will choose not to use them. So we'll have to see.
1: And we've got uh, on the website now, esgen.com.au forward slash AFL. uh, You've actually sort of gone club by club and what the the list breakdown and what each club needs. So um, if you do want to have a look at that before the mid-season draft uh, on Wednesday night, make sure you do get around that. But I guess maybe you could take us through a top 10 power rankings and the top 10 perhaps names to look out for on, on Wednesday
3: night? Yeah, sure. So I've got a different one to I'd imagine anyone else in the media at number one. So Jackson Ooh, Kellogg. Love it. exclusive. So, um, he's not going to be picked number one in this um, draft, but for me, based on just how well he's been performing at Sandfall League level, he thoroughly deserves it. So, so he's your best one...
0: player, not necessarily the player that's going to be taken first.
3: That's correct. Yeah. So his number kind of one is... In the... Yep, so he's number one in the sandful for contested marks and is a strong marking forward. So fantastic one-on-one. And he's actually shown in the past he also has the capabilities as a key defender. So um there's some talk that Collingwood might be picking him with their first pick. So they might there have a ready-made player who may even get some opportunities this year. Well,
1: Collingwood, uh traditionally a team that probably hasn't had the strongest in term strongest makeup of key forwards in recent years, uh probably crying out for a player like that.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And I should also mention with Callow, he was in my top 20 power rankings last year, but no club took a chance on him. So um, he's someone that I like again, and his stocks are only growing for mine. So Interesting.
1: Uh, who do you have next on the list?
3: Yep, so I have Jacob Edwards at number two. So mm-hmm. he's most likely to be pick one for North Melbourne. Um, so he's a ruck key forward, very athletic, really come from nowhere this year, and he's looking fantastic. So um, he will take time to develop. He's not a ready-made player, as a Callow would be, but um, the chances are looking good that maybe with another preseason, maybe he has a chance to contend for opportunities, most likely next year. Mm.
0: If he we- was to we- come in a North side, how likely would it be for him to, to play some senior footy later in the year, given where North is at the moment?
3: Yeah, and look, in their situation, they do need to start playing youth, but obviously they've got Goldstein, who's a fantastic number one ruck. You've got Campbell as a number two, who they seem pretty comfortable with. So opportunities will be hard to come by. And he's still a developing player, so he might not quite be ready this year, but it's possible he gets a taste of a few games.
1: Well, I was going to say, different clubs may have different expectations as to what they probably want to get out of this period. You look at clubs that are rebuilding, that that may like to... Uh, get more project players into the side, whereas teams that are contending may need to fill a a spot that might be a bit thin or somewhere where they think they can improve heading into the back half of the season.
3: Yeah, it's definitely possible. And um, in terms of some of the players I recommended to teams, um, it's possible that they go for more ready-made players, but they may not necessarily um, clubs tend to have a real look towards youth and really want to keep their age demographics to a particular level and really have a certain number of players in particular age brackets so I think that might come into play as well and it might not mean necessarily the Hayden Sloits or the Jay Boltons get picked even though I believe they're thoroughly deserving so
1: who's next on that list
3: um, so number three, I've got Ned Moyle. So I think he's a good chance to go to Hawthorne with the second pick and fantastic Ruckman. So off to a really good start this year um, in the best. Um, Another the, Ruckman, did you say? Yeah, a Ruckman. So 205 centimetre. Um, he's played not only NAB League and featured in the best in every game there, but he's also played VFL for Collingwood's VFL team and held his own at that level. So um, No, he
0: sounds good, but you got a few too many Ruckman here for my liking, I've got to say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: Well, it can yeah, be so, a position that that takes time to develop. So maybe these players just hmm. needed a bit of extra time, Jack.
3: Yeah, and with the midseason draft, ultimately, it is a type of rookie list. And in years past, we've actually had fantastic rookies, and it, and some would say even better rookie success stories than you've had in any other portion of the draft. Whether it's your Dean Coxes, Aaron Sandellands, Shane Mumford, Darren Jolly, there's been hmm. some big names. And even in more recent times, O'Reilly O'Brien's been terrific. Mm-hmm. Sam Draper's looking good when he's out there. And even Rowan Marshall was a rookie. So you can get those ruck success stories. And sometimes they just take a bit of time. Well, it
0: seems well in all seriousness, it seems to happen a bit more often, you know, later
3: down the track than than in the, the regular draft.
0: Yeah, absolutely
3: sense. right. Yeah. And this year, I think there's a real big opportunity in terms of those I guess rucks in this draft because picks one and two, they're probably going to be rucks in um, Edwards and Moyle, but then mm-hmm. even sort of further down the list, you might have a few, maybe a Callan Lane from WA gets a shot. Um, maybe you've got a Max Heath, he's in the mix as well as another young ruck. And then you've got some older rucks as well, who might be in the mix for another chance as well. So I'm so um, going yeah, to get some ruckman. Fourth on that list of yours, are they a ruckman
1: as well?
3: Um, <laughs> no, fortunately. So um, Angus Baker. So um, in the past, there's been a lot of um, mature age general defender success stories. And I think Angus Baker is really that best sort of ready to go general defender. So um, high level interceptor, good rebounder, really playing good footy for Essendon. But in the past, playing in the Neefel he's really been a dominant player there, averaging over 30 disposals per game and in the best just about every week. So. Sounds,
0: sounds like a real Tom Stewart
3: operator. <laughs> yeah, um, probably... Might play a bit higher, a bit more of a rebounder focus, not as defensively orientated, but yes, yeah, certainly can provide some drive rebound intercepts. So another good player, but probably doesn't quite play as tall as Keep Stewart pushing us down that list. Um, so number five, I've got Tyrone Thorne. So now I'm looking at a small. So he's a sub 170, very light, but um, he's very skilled. So great skills can be a crummer, but incredibly athletic speed, agility. So if any club is looking for a crumbing forward who can push up through the midfield, I think is the guy.
1: We talk about Ruckman uh, being selected a lot in this and or being overlooked initially in these sorts of lists. I think small guys also get a bit of a, a bad rap. Um, there seems to be some sort of unwritten rule amongst AFL clubs that you don't sort of go after players below a certain uh, certain height. And, and often you find that uh, players who are good at that height, they end up embarrassing teams when they do eventually get picked up and show what their worth is. So it could be worth a pick up for a team looking for uh, a bit of nimbleness around the footy in the front half.
3: Yeah, and we're actually finding in recent years there's been a lot more um, small forwards being picked in the early parts of the draft. Uh, Melbourne have been rewarded with um, Kaziah Pickett, of course, mm. having a fantastic year in All-Australian form. So you can hope those success stories early on. But also as rookies and later in the draft, there's been a lot of great successes. So And um, McDonald, Tip and Woody. So he was picked mm. as a rookie, mature age rookie. So um, you can get those in the rookie draft. And he's another in All-Australian. Funnily enough. So. Well, Jake,
1: we should plug our mid year All Australian coming up <laughs> shortly as say. well. Uh, do, do we have room for Cosy Pickett?
0: Yeah, <laughs> well, he wasn't even really in. Well, he was a little bit in consideration, but I, I think he's just below probably where McDonald Wood is. But he's had a fantastic year. I mean, you could make a case for half
3: that demon side being in the Should New we add him to the
1: stiff thing? list that's about 15 <laughs> players long at this point now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Chris, uh, number six.
3: Yeah, number six, I've gone Blake Slenslog. So he's someone where he was a say Geelong again. rookie. Um, yeah, I know, it's try and Basically say that duffy. five times fast. Hey. <laughs> so Blake Slenslog. So I, I, hope, I hope I'm getting the pronunciation right. But yeah, he was a Geelong Next Gen Academy player on their rookie list for two years, delisted. But he's had a fantastic year in the waffle and really developing as a key defender. So 199, very athletic, good skills, leading the competition in marks. So intercepting very well. And he can also beat his man one-on-one too. So a lot of good signs there. Number seven. Number seven. So I've gone with Patrick Parnell. So a small defender, so sub 180, but can really generate a lot of drive. Really good kick, very penetrating, but also has the speed. So he's one to look out for and in red hot form in the NAB league. Mm. And
1: uh, finish it off eight, nine, and 10. Let's uh, yep. through these somewhat quickly if we can. Yep.
3: So number 8 Max Pescad. So he was a Gold Coast Academy player last year and unlucky to not get picked up, but he's been fantastic the last few weeks. BFL, Fantastic on the weekend in the NAB League, had a big game, three goals, led his team in disposal. So I'll talk about him in my weekly wrap this week. So although he's one I probably don't think will be picked up in the mid-season draft, if he's not then certainly at the end of the year he's someone who will be on my shortlist as players mm-hmm. to watch. That's for sure. Um, number nine, I've gone Sam Lawson. So last mid season draft period, he was one who was considered very unlucky not to be picked and he's got the speed, he's got the forward pressure and really good around goals. So if you're looking for a mature age, general forward is a great choice. And then number 10, I've gone Hayden Sloyth. So for a team that's looking for a bit of polish, whether it's forward midfield he has a bit of speed. So, um, he can really be that sort of final component to a midfield or front half. So for a contending team, he'd be a great choice.
1: Mm, well, if, you, uh, if you're if you listening to this before Wednesday night, uh, make sure you get a load of uh, Chris's club-by-club uh, club list needs. Uh, that's on the website, as I said. If you're listening to this after Wednesday night, perhaps you're uh, wanting to know a little bit more about the player or players that your club picked up. Uh, Chris also would have a piece up on the website by that time. So when you're listening to this, uh, there's all the content you're possibly going to need ESPN.com.au forward slash AFL, as I said. Um, Chris, any uh, other sort of quirky bits and pieces that we might take away from this this mid-season draft? Anything that you sort of think is worth mentioning before we wrap things up?
3: yeah so a few things quickly so there's three players of interest that didn't nominate so um firstly Bailey Lambert so he was someone who was firmly in my top 10 power rankings for the midseason draft but chose not to nominate so um he's the son of Craig who played for both Richmond and Brisbane and he's eligible as a father son so um, but you' also have the son of Kane yeah so yeah <laughs> Yeah. But is one where I have a uh, I have a sneaking suspicion given the Richmond eligibility maybe he might like to join them as a father son at the end of the year. So if he mm. keeps up his red hot form maybe he's in consideration and Richmond of course they have a great history in developing their forwards as those sort of pressure forwards who can hit the scoreboard, have some tricks. So, so um, what would might you might not nominate if for. you
0: if you're ready and and
3: there's high chance that a club might pick you up?
1: Wanting to go to a successful club, is that possibly part of it? Yeah, so
3: that's possible because during this period, um, whether you're linked to an academy or father-son, there's no sort of priority access during this period. But um, at the end of the year, you do have that. But another component as well is length of contract and pay packets. So Mm, if you go on the national draft at the end of the year, you get your two-year contract, you get bigger money. So that's also another component. And Mm -hmm. um, Jacob Edwards, so he was considering just skipping the mid-season draft period going into the national draft, but he decided, no, he'll enter now. So that is up to the players if they want to make that decision and if they're confident that they will go end of season.
1: Fascinating. Yeah, Um, he kind of gets lost as that sort of like contract talk as well, um, given mm -hmm. that mid-season draft players probably don't have that security that that national draftees do
3: yeah so yeah they could possibly be cut after six months and then out of the system so and particularly if you're a younger player look there is that risk and then you might not get a shot back in I think it was Cody Hurst who was picked up last mid-season draft period so he was in for six months and then out of the system as just someone who was really an overager and didn't have much of a chance so um those sort of things can happen too so that might be the appeal of going to the national draft for some instead And um, for the two other names as well. So Jack Avery. So he could be in that same sort of position as well, where he's that sort of 18, 19-year-old overlooked in last year's draft, but absolutely dominating in the Waffle Colts. So he's someone where definitely he could have been in consideration and would have, again, been in that top 10 for me during this period. So really good interceptor, good kick. And then also Josh Newman. So a teammate of Bailey Lambert, um, brother of um, Carlton's Nick. So whether it's in the midfield, in defence, really high impact per possession, great overhead, great aerially, good ball user. So here's someone as well where maybe not a definite pick, but one who I thought would have been in consideration for this period, given the start to the year that he's had.
0: No, uh, no Kate Simpson.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no. (laughs) Yeah, so players that have actually formally retired, so maybe say a Gary Ablett wanted to return, well, that wouldn't unfortunately be possible given he retired. So he'd have yeah. to wait another year if he wanted to be eligible. So, um, but for players Simpson that have been was eligible,
0: he just I thought I heard, maybe I was, heard,
3: was hearing things. I don't know yeah so unless he's <laughs> been delisted three and i didn't know about it but no i'm sure geelong formally retired him and yeah unfortunately those who have been retired they're not eligible but if on the other hand they've been delisted as with uh um blake slenslog who i've mentioned before yeah one of the best yeah
1: very good well lots to unpack um and, and again look thank you for all your work over this period it's uh it's starting to become a, a busy little mid, mid-season uh, period for you as well. Uh, like I said, guys, to those listening at home, um, please do check out ESPN.com.au forward slash AFL for all the mid-season draft needs, uh, as well as national draft stuff throughout the year. Chris does some amazing, amazing work for us. Uh, mate, thank you for joining us. Uh, I'm sure we'll have you uh, on the podcast again a bit later in the season as the draft uh, approaches. But uh, again, thank you for all your tireless work over this period.
3: Thanks for having me, guys.
1: Time for Justified Hype or Hyperbole, the segment where... Uh, we'll say a statement and then you guys need to tell me whether the hype is justified. You
0: don't call speaking. it our favorite segment anymore you used to say it's our favorite segment is it no longer our favorite
1: well it's, it's one of our only segments really <laughs> we used to have That's a good segment for, for, for those who remember back to season one we'd, we'd had specific segments and we've kind of moved away from that and just sort of you know everything molds into one but um yes this is uh this is the segment if you want Jake.
0: So it's, it's by default the favourite segment. It's
1: also the worst one. It's also the one we hate the most. I mean, it means how far you want to go. Um, first statement, Jack Revolt's mark was better than Shea Bolton's.
0: Who are you asking?
1: Uh, you, sure. Let's go with you.
0: Um, No, it wasn't. I oh. find these marks where, where players run back with the flight a little bit overrated. I, oh. I'm controversial. Come oh, on. I think he didn't, didn't agree, just went walk back with a fly. Jonathan... He got
1: elevation off
0: the
2: front of the pack. So he did, he, he did a little this bit of push. Both with the courageousness before it, clearly better.
0: Yeah. Agreed. You think it's better than Bolton? Yeah,
2: 100%.
1: Yes. It's mark of the year.
0: No. Yeah.
1: Well, my check might
0: can... have nothing to say about that. But... Yeah, ask, ask the Pies. Let the Pies fans vote for it. No, I, look, it was good. But I'm with I'm with Nick. I, I'm giving it a B. I think Shy Bolton's that's an A plus. I you don't but, see that every day.
1: Right. So you're obviously saying that Jax is not as good as Nick's then either.
0: But then look at last last year. I love Sam Walsh. We all do. We're all Carlton Carlton boys here. But was his mark mark of the year last year? No way. I thought it was
1: pretty good. Again, courage no. going into, it was it
0: Charlie Dixon? Courage, give me a spell. I don't want courage. Jump on someone's head and, and pluck the ball. That's that's bloody, that's a mark. That's what I want to see.
1: All right, moving on. I'm sick of talking to you about this. Uh, Christian, <laughs> Mark Murphy should and will get to 300 games played and he's currently at
2: 294. Um. Well, yeah, I'd probably answer the same for both should all will I don't know um I think he probably Benchiller. should again I think he probably should looking at Carlton I don't think he's he's not in their best 15 players but I don't know how far out of his out of the next sort of range there is there's 23 players per game you can select now I know he played the sub on the weekend mm-hmm. um yeah I, I think there's still room for sentiment in footy and I think this sub rule allows you to maybe do that in the last three or four rounds um you can get him games you can come on and have you know, an impact for an injured player, but you're not selecting him. You know, he's not taking a young kid's place from the uh, best 22. And I'm, I'm dead set against having kids have be the sub as well. So I'd rather have experienced players be my sub player. Uh, I thought it's perfect for Sean going could go another year. Mark Murphy, you know, gets probably a few more games this year because of that sub role that you can play, where you just come in. Have to. He doesn't
0: know. have to even be subbed in to get the to get the extra game.
2: <laughs> Correct. And if you are, I don't understand how a, how a young, inexperienced kid can get subbed in in the fourth quarter and expect to have an impact compared to someone that's coming in with 294 games under his belt, coming into a fourth quarter. That could be a close game.
1: Um, yeah, I, I think he should and he probably will. I, agree. I think I agree with with you. The, the argument is sort of sentiment, like you said, or is it sort of cheapening the achievement of, of earning 300 games, Jake? Is there an argument for that at all?
0: there is i think i was saying before i think the if, if you get like any achievement to to be a 300 game player there's not a whole lot of them i think you to get in that club you got to earn every single one of them you shouldn't be giving any cheapies out i i fair enough if you're at 299 and you and you but six games i don't think you, no one just gets gifted six games is get he, to 299 he... and we'll talk but well, but to go back to christians point he hasn't been as bad as what some people are making him out to be some people are making out that he couldn't even get a game in the VFL at the moment. I don't think he's been that bad, but is he your best twenty-two player with the club basically
1: needing to keep winning to make finals? That's the kind of the, the hard did. question that they're at at the moment. I think so. With
2: the injury list that I'll, I'll, I'll put the we hat on the injury yeah. list we got, he's probably just still falls in our best twenty-two. Yeah, I, know, I, I, day with I agree. Of Charlie Kerno and David Cunningham and all that being fit, maybe not. But at the moment, the way we're made up, um, yeah,
1: he's he's not far out of the best twenty-two. Jake, Collingwood should not have another prime-time game for the rest of the season.
0: Oh, probably not. I mean, they're they're not a team that we want to watch at the moment. Um, what can you say? Just not well, their winning fans games, don't not want playing to watch well. Them. Sorry? Their own
1: fans don't want to watch them. They've had two crowds of under 24,000 at the MCG this season.
0: Well, yeah, there you go. They had zero on the so, weekend.
1: No one turned up. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> No, I don't think so. I mean, I don't think Eddie will be too happy, but what do you do? They play better. You get, just like any team, you know, you play well, you get on the, you get the blockbuster, you get the the blockbuster slots. You don't play well, you don't. It doesn't matter if Collingwood's a big club. They will continue to get them because they are a big club. But uh, I put it this way. If I, if I look at the fixture and see Collingwood's playing on a Friday night, I'd be a little bit disappointed at the moment. Fair
1: enough. And last one, this is for you because you uh, asked me to put this in here, but the AFL should introduce a most improved player award just after our discussion of the buy teams.
0: Yeah, I, I really would like this. I look at the NBA and the NBA has a few quirky awards, which are really big deal, which is a big deal in the sport. I, I would like the AFL to have this. There's some silly awards they have, like going back to most courageous, the most courageous player. Like what the hell does that mean? They're all courageous players. They're all running around tackling and jumping into each other i like most improved player and if i was giving it out right now i'd give it to adelaide's ben keys i think he's been spectacular this year and i don't think anyone saw that improvement coming um he's been terrific in the midfield winning clearances winning a lot of the ball he's becoming a better ball user and a better decision maker it's probably the knock on him um but i think he's been terrific i'd love the idea of having a, a the most improved player don't you reckon it would be good
1: uh, yeah, uh, we got a lot of awards though already. Do we need to have another one that, to chuck into the
0: October rotation? Well, get get rid of the most courageous because it doesn't mean anything.
1: Fair enough. Uh, All righty, we got to wrap things up. Footy tips. Uh, get your tips in. D's and Lions this week. Geez, what a good game. We haven't even oh. really had a chance to speak about it. But the two form teams of the competition. Lions seven straight. D's, you know, ten and one. Like, where do we see this going, Christian? Who who are you, who are you picking?
2: Um. Yeah, I'll probably go Brisbane. I think, yeah, at the moment these are the two form teams in it. I know the Bulldogs are quite up there as well, but Brisbane have flown under the radar for the last five weeks. Their form's been outstanding, um, and you're right. We probably you know haven't spoken about them enough on this pod at all. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll tip them for this week.
0: Jake, any yeah, thoughts? I th- I think um, I think it'll depend if I know Lockie Neal hasn't played, but I think if he there's talk he may come back into the team. If he does, I think I'll go Brisbane. If not, I think I'll still go Melbourne. I think Melbourne's midfield, yeah. the, the, the centre-bounce mid, would just have a little bit more little bit more class and polish over the Brisbane without Neil. But, yeah, it's going to be close. Um, they've been fantastic to watch. But another good game, another exciting game. And hopefully it's better than the, the Doggies-D's game, which didn't mm. move up to the hype.
1: Well, you can call me Walsh Stradamus because I said exactly what was going to happen with that game. And I think I was laughed at when I said that the Ds would out-intercept the, the dogs forwards and, and, and strangle them from there. So I'd just like to put that out there. And if anyone else wants my tip for this week, don't go running for the TAB, gamble responsibly. Um, but I think the lines will get over the line as well. So there you
0: go. <laughs> lines over the line. Lines know. over the Ds, my right. apologies.
1: Um, yeah, well, let's wrap things up there. Big thanks to Chris Dory for joining us. Christian, thanks as always. Jake, nice to speak to you again. Go and get that COVID test. And to all of you listening at home, uh, we'll speak to you in the next one.
0: Listen to all the latest episodes by subscribing to the ESPN Footy Pod, wherever you get your podcasts.